This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. On this 127th episode of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast, we are going to be talking about fly fishing using mouse patterns. Mousing. It is a fantastic way to get into fish, especially large fish. And why are we talking about mousing? It's a little early. This is being recorded in April. This is not quite prime mousing season yet. However, we're going to talk about it because I am in a very mouse-centric place right now. I am in Orlando, Florida, which you may or may not know is the home of Disney World, where there is a very large mouse. That kind of put the idea of a mousing episode into my head, but it's something that I've written about on the website a number of times, something I really enjoy doing, and something that, even though, like I said, it's a little early to be mousing actively, that doesn't mean you can't start thinking about it and you can't start practicing it, and that's one of the first things that I want to talk about. And it's not practice. It's actually the real deal. You you are fishing and there's nothing less about it or nothing different about it but if you want to be good at mousing for trout then you need to start by fishing poppers for bass okay so bass fishing is a completely legitimate fantastic enjoyable kind of fly fishing that believe it or not there's people out there that this is their idea of fly fishing the idea of fishing small dry flies or heaven forbid a nymph it's just it's foreign to them so when I say start with bass, I'm not meaning that in any sort of disparaging way or that these fish are pushovers or anything like that. I actually wrote about that this week, and I'll be talking about that at the end of the episode. But bass fishing, warm water fishing, does provide you with a great opportunity to get your mind and your muscles and your gear wrapped around what mousing entails. So real quick. Let me stop because I've, I'm doing that thing that often happens, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it, and I get frustrated when people do it, when you don't define your terms. Mouse flies are flies that are designed to imitate mice. 
So they are top water patterns, but they vary in their buoyancy. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But they look like mice, and they are intended to imitate a rodent that is moving across the water. You can use them on streams, you can use them on rivers, you can use them on ponds. There are any place where there are mice, there are fish that, if their mouths are large enough, they will consume those mice. But you can't just fish them like a dry fly. And that's what it comes down to. They are bigger, so you're probably not going to be able to fish them using your conventional five weight or something like that. So that is why I encourage people to get out on the bass pond, or even better, to get out on a smallmouth river. And first of all, that allows you to get some time in. Um, it, it's They're not easier fish. I think I just want to be really, really clear about that. Uh, they're not easier fish, but what you're able to do is work on that muscle memory of casting a larger, more wind-resistant fly. It's not as easy, especially if you want to cast with precision. A lot of times I've found that a lot of the fish that I catch on mice, I am putting that fly right where the bank meets the water. So four inches more and I'm hung up and I've got this really big fly that potentially took a lot of time if it's something that involves spun deer hair uh, more than more than foam and, and other materials that I don't want to lose. And I'll, and even more than that, the size of leader and tippet that I'm using, I'm not going to be able to just snap this thing off easily. So it's not so much about losing that mouse is about losing that fishing opportunity because there's no way I can safely snap that uh, fly off. I might have to wade over and pluck it from the bank. So I want to be able to cast these wind-resistant, heavier flies with accuracy. Completely different game than casting a small dry fly. Completely different game than casting uh, a nymphrig. And it's even a different game than casting a heavy streamer because even the heavy streamers, if they're streamlined, kind of traditional shapes, a big conehead woolly bugger, for example, they're at least going to be more aerodynamic than a big chunky mouse fly. So spend some time on the river casting towards the bank, casting to a rock, casting just to a spot in your head where you can get that figured out. And then also, I would say you don't even need to use a mouse. I would. There are some benefits to using the actual mouse patterns that you're going to mouse with, but just Refamiliarize yourself with using poppers. Uh, there's so much fun to be had in casting poppers of all sizes to catch bluegill and bass and any other fish that's going to rise up and eat one. But just remember how to use them. Work on utilizing different methods for retrieval, for imparting action to that fly. So I am a big fan of using my line hand to strip line in to give it the most of its action, but then when I want to give it a little bit of uh, nuance, then I'll use my rod tip. And I also like to use those things in tandem to ensure that I have the right amount of tension between my rod tip and my fly on my line so that I'm not in a slack situation where if a fish hits, I'm not going to be able to set the hook in a responsive manner. So a lot of those things you can figure out for your mousing using a small bluegill popper or even better a big chunky uh, bass slider or pop or something like that so this gives you an opportunity for fish that are going to be probably more willing to play during daylight hours and we'll talk about when mousing is the most effective for trout here in a little bit but for daylight hours more specifically morning and evening right before it gets dark you're going to be able to get into fish using poppers and you're going to be able to hone your techniques 
Now, there are volumes written upon how to fish for bass with poppers, best places, best times, and there are some significant differences between mousing for trout and using poppers for bass. Those poppers imitating everything from frogs to wounded bait fish, the different styles of poppers, whether they be the sliders or the cup-faced poppers or anything in between. Um, and, and really, you could even go to the conventional side and, and look at how bass anglers fish all of the different topwater lures and baits in order to elicit strikes from bass. All of that information is helpful. There are bass anglers and conventional bass lures that imitate mice. So there's this entire kind of library of information that you can glean from. But really what it comes down to is my, my first bit of advice when you are getting ready for mousing is to just get out in before the mousing season kind of begins in earnest, which is very, very relative. And it depends on where you live and it depends on the, the temperature of that water and depends on what the, the, not just the fish are doing, but the wildlife are doing. Um, you can probably get out and catch fish on topwater flies in, in bass and warm water situations before you're able to get to those trout chasing after bigger meals that require them to exert a lot of effort. So that's the first thing. Go after bass, um, spend more time doing that, and uh, learn how to use those topwater lures or re-familiarize yourself with using those topwater lures. And I, one more thing I, I want to add to that is, again, it's just is dial in the gear that you use. So there's a couple of rivers that I like to mouse around here, and I will traditionally fish a five weight where I'm casting dry flies, smaller streamers, and uh, some nymph rigs. But when I switch over to the mouse, I fish a sturdier six weight because it gives me a little bit more backbone and uh, it allows me to push that wind-resistant fly right where I want it to go. So that's something that I figured out. Can I cast that fly with the five weight? Absolutely. And uh, I was catching um, trout on mice in the drift list with a five weight a couple years ago, and it worked just fine. But I was fishing smaller creeks. I wasn't having to bomb out long casts. And in a lot of those streams, I wasn't going to be contending with much, much larger fish. Um, and in the nighttime, I like to have a little bit more backbone so I can have a little bit more control over that fish because I'm not sure what it's running into and, and where it is. It's harder to locate if that fish is running towards a, a root ball or some sort of snag or something like that. So I like a little bit more backbone when I'm fishing at night. So all that to say, you can dial that stuff in in the, the daytime uh, when you're fishing on a bass river or a bass pond. So that's the first thing. Second thing, use multiple mice. There are, there are a plethora of mouse patterns. My absolute favorite, I think, is a variation on what's called the Master Splinter, but it is a zonker strip that is uh, coming off as a tail. So it's a black rabbit strip. It, ha it acts as the body and a little bit of the tail. And then I like to have a foam-trimmed piece coming off for that tail or a little bit of chenille. Uh, either way is fine. And then just a kind of a, a bubbled over foam body with a pretty robust head and this is one of those things where I feel like you can tie them larger to begin with and then come back when you're on the water and adjust them if you want a subtler presentation or if you want something that's going to displace a lot of water but I like this pattern because it doesn't ride super high but it's also not crazy heavy when it gets wet and and I think that's probably the biggest consideration when you're, you're looking at mouse patterns how buoyant are they when you look at a mouse in the water, 
If, you know, just Google it. Swimming mouse, swimming rat, swimming squirrel. I mean, they all have the same kind of water displacement. The majority of the critter is underwater. So if you look at a traditional popper, especially if it's made out of foam or cork, the majority of that fly is going to be on the water, if not kind of equally spaced out. And it's only those feathers and the things that are not as buoyant that are hanging off the back end of the hook, past the shank and towards the bend, that are going to be sinking down. Now, I have caught trout on poppers. And they might think they're mice. They might think they're frogs. I don't know what they're thinking. So it's not like it's that big of a deal. But if you want a really natural presentation, I say shoot for a pattern like I described where it's going to have that kind of middle-of-the-road buoyancy. If anything, a lot of the body of that fly is going to be sinking down. And there's other patterns that work just as fine. I think that the deer hair poppers are great because they are never going to sink. They are going to be very, very light in this fact that they're not going to retain a lot of water. They're just a little bit more difficult for me to tie. I'm not great at stacking deer hair, um, but they are a little bit more time consuming. I think I can crank out one of the zonker and foam mice in maybe about three or four minutes. A deer hair fly is going to take a lot more work. You can make them out of popper material also, and that works just fine. But I like a one that has a little bit less float on it. It sits kind of neutrally in that water and it has a little bit of motion. When that thing sits still and that fish is looking up, it doesn't matter what color that fly is because all it's seeing is a silhouette, especially if you're fishing it at night. I, I tie them in black and under fur and then white on the top. That way I can see them a little bit. They may be catching a little bit more of the light from the moon or whatever you know ambient light is there. But when that fish looks up, all it sees is the silhouette and profile of a body with a little bit of tail. But really what it's concerned about more than anything is the movement and the disturbance and the displacement that that fly is making as it swims. Uh, I want a fly that swims. You watch a mouse, and they do not splash. They do not pop. They do not thrash. A lot of the, the, the poppers are intended to imitate a thrashing bait fish. Frogs move very sleekly through the water. Mice move very smoothly through the water. So you're not going to need to create a huge amount of disturbance. And watch what happens. I mean, there's plenty of mousing videos online of, of trout chasing after mice. Even after that fish strikes and misses, that thing is going to go still. Just like if it's in your garage and you're chasing it, it's not going to run, 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 run. It's going to run a little bit and then stop and freeze, and hopefully you lose sight of it. So and that's almost a, a, a secondary kind of um, thing when I'm talking about fishing different mouse patterns. But you have to dial in that retrieve. And that's something you can do on bass. Or you can do when you're out fishing for trout, but watch videos. Watch how people fish mice. And mice might react differently in one area than another area. I mean, there's there's so many variables. But all I had to say, fish different mouse patterns. Maybe go to the fly shop and buy three or four, and then you can deconstruct them and tie them if, if you are a fly tire. If you're not a fly tire, then you know buy three or four, cast them, figure out which ones you like the best, maybe figure out which ones the fish like the best. That's a pr pretty novel idea. And then work on how do you create that retrieve in the light so that when it's dark out, you know and you have some muscle memory of what you should be doing with your line hand, what you should be doing with your rod tip, and how you should be moving that fly along to accurately represent a mouse that is just 
fallen in and is now trying to get to the bank, which is one kind of retrieve, or a mouse that's just trying to get from one side to the other, which is a different kind of retrieve, or a mouse that's frightened, which is a, a third kind of retrieve, or something that's making a surface disturbance, which is, of course, another kind of retrieve altogether. So use different mice, try to figure out what kind of um, face that fly has, what kind of head probably is a, a better term for a, a fly. If you need to have a very conical head, to create a very smooth retrieve or something that stands a little bit more abruptly so that it pushes more water out of the ray, then those are things that you can test out and try and find out what works for you. You might be able to cast some of the more streamlined patterns on your lighter weight rods, maybe a four or five weight, and some of the bigger patterns, the really chunky stuff that have some stuff dangling off the side to imitate legs and you know they move around as you retrieve them and it really creates a light life pattern. Not sure how necessary that is, but some of those really big, chunky ones, uh, maybe with some articulation in them, maybe with uh, some foam and some deer hair and a couple other things hanging off it, you might need a seven or eight weight to throw that thing. But figure that out before you go out on the water and you're stuck with the wrong, wrong rod. All right, so first thing, warm water fishing. Second thing, multiple mice. Third thing, and this is more of a pep talk, don't give up. So... The majority of your mousing is going to happen at night because the larger fish, the predatory fish, are going to be more active at night and rodents are mostly active at night. You know this if you have mice in your house. Rodents are mostly active at night. So what you should do is go out to a stream that you know, a river that you know, and just like any other kind of night fishing, that gives you a much more safer entry point. You know where the deadfalls are, and you know where the rapids are, and you know where the slippery rocks are, and you know where to be fishing. So all you do is go to those same spots and fish them in the nighttime. You've got your headlamp, you're using the light of the moon, you're doing it the safe and right way, and you're probably not going to have the same sort of action fishing with a mouse that you would if you were nymphing. You're probably not going to have the same sort of action fishing with a mouse as you are if you're fishing with a smaller, more contemporary streamer. These are going to be your more aggressive and larger fish. Now, as I said earlier in the podcast, any fish that has a mouth large enough has the potential to attack and eat a mouse fly. But generally speaking, this is going to be your larger fish, your predatory fish, because this is going to take a lot of effort to not just chase this thing down, but to, to kill it. I mean, it's going to fight back. And fish, although they are relatively simple organisms, they have been created to maximize their energy as it relates to what the metabolic payoff is going to be. So bigger fish are likely the ones that are going to be chasing these flies. So there's less of them out there, but they're also going to be the ones that are more active at night. They're probably going to be fish that you're not necessarily going to have access to during the daytime because they're going to be hunkered up somewhere waiting until they can feed. They didn't get big because they're stupid. So... Don't give up. Keep casting. Keep fishing. We do that silly thing where we might make like a 30-foot cast, and we kind of fish it really quickly and retrieve it very speedily until we get to where it's within maybe 10 feet of our rod tip. Then we really slow down and do a good job of retrieving that fly. I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure why we think that is is beneficial, but fish every cast well. Uh, especially if you're casting out towards some submerged structure or to a rock or to overhanging tree branch or to a bank, those places are going to be where you need to have your best retrieve. And even, the, and this is true for all topwater patterns that you give motion to, as soon as that thing hits, let it sit. 
because that is the dinner bell for a lot of these fish. So don't give up and fish that whole cast. Don't give up. Keep casting. Move slowly. Move to the spots that you think and that you know hold fish, but move slowly. Give every spot your full attention. You do not know what that fish is thinking. You do not know if there's a fish that is there or not. You do not know what splash is going to get that largest fish's attention. We don't completely understand how they uh, locate things, how they hear things, how they see things. I mean, we have a lot of science that kind of gives us a good idea, but we don't know why some fish uh, attack on the first cast versus some attack on the 10th cast. So don't move too fast. And then thirdly, and this one's hard, so first, keep casting and fish the whole cast. Second, move slowly and safely if you're fishing at night. And thirdly, don't give up by switching to you're hearing these tiny, delicate little rises here and there. Don't give up on mousing if you are sold out on mousing just because you see one or two fish rising to sip uh, some sort of sulfur or something like that, um, or you have them they're chasing BWO emergers. Now, if you just want to get into fish, then yes, by all means, fish however you want to fish. There's no rules. There's regulations, but there's no rules. Fish however you want to fish. But if you want to catch fish mousing, you have to have a mouse on the end of your fly line. So ignore those things. Ignore that pool that looks like a great place to throw a deep streamer. Uh, just save that for another night. If you want to give mousing a shot and you want that big payoff of that big, gnarly brown trout, then keep that mouse on your line and keep fishing every cast well and keep pounding every bank, every overhanging tree, and every hiding spot in each pool methodically and slowly. And the payoff is worth it. One quick mousing story. Two quick mousing stories, actually. Uh, the first one is uh, a time I was out fishing with some friends, and he had a couple of huge strikes. But I was absolutely convinced it was a beaver because uh, we had seen beaver. I had heard a beaver tail slap. I mean, I, I can't imagine the size of the fish. It would have to be like one of those giant six-foot salmon to come out of the water and land in such a way as to emulate the slapping of a beaver's tail. And so I was convinced that what he was, was seeing was an angry beaver that did not like him casting over towards wherever it was hanging out. Uh, but the next time we were out, he caught a very, very large brown trout in that spot. So I contend that we were both right, that it was a beaver, but there's also a trout there. Secondly, uh, I caught my probably my second biggest brook trout ever on a mouse pattern, middle of the day on a pond. So completely contrary to everything that I've talked about, but that just goes to show there's no reason uh, to not throw a totally different pattern because this was a very large, old predatory brook trout and it saw something that it probably hadn't seen before but because i was fishing it very methodically very slowly walking the dog if you you know uh, bass lingo this thing went after it and it was a huge fat brook trout so give mice a try try out a couple of different patterns read some of the articles on castingcross.com and there's so much more to mousing than i have talked about so definitely go back and uh, do a little bit more research and give it a shot. It is a lot of fun, especially as the warm weather night fishing months are upon us.
this week on castingacross.com. The first article is called Rusty Flybox Little Things. So I love the minutia of fly fishing. I like the little weird eccentricities of our community. I like the little pieces of gear. And so in this article, I talk about three things that you can fit in the palm of your hand. One is a poetic look at backing. So definitely check that out. Uh, the Wednesday article was my monthly contribution to Trout and Feather, the great fly tying predominantly website run by Tim Camisa. And this week's article was called How Cool is Warm Water Fly Fishing? How Cool is Warm Water Fly Fishing? Where I offer up a non-pragmatic, non-logistical reason to make sure you're mixing in a little bit of warm water fly fishing into your time on the water. This week's recommendation on the podcast is a book. It is called Fly Fishing for Smallmouth Bass by Harry Murray. And I'd say that Harry Murray is one of the more underrated fly fishing names out there. Unless, of course, you are from or fish in Virginia. Then you know about his shop, his personal contributions to the sport. And this book, Fly Fishing for Smallmouth Bass, is a simple, straightforward, do this, don't do that kind of approach. And don't let the name fool you. A lot of what is presented in this book is applicable for all other warm water species. So it's not just smallmouth, but also largemouth and uh, even, I would say, toothy stuff. And nymphing, let me just put it this way. Nymphing for smallmouth bass is an underrated uh, technique, and he goes into some great detail on this. But uh, years of experience and uh, stellar insight go into fly fishing for smallmouth bass by Harry Murray. I definitely recommend you check it out if there are smallmouth or other warm water river fish close to where you live. I'll put a link to more information on the show notes of this podcast's page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast, three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.